Hi and welcome back uh, to yet another edition of our Radical Change Radio. Uh, the three of us have been continuing on this journey of uh, trying to understand the biases we have in life and uh, working on uh, creating a small, um, a small collection of biases that we can uh, keep a track of. If you remember, uh, as we were going through this process, we had over 100 different biases uh, from a bunch of different fields, and we narrowed them down to a few, uh, a few important pieces that we run into in our day-to-day life. Now, in our last episode, uh, we talked about and covered attitudinal biases. Uh, today, we're getting into what we're calling uh, pre-choice uh, uh, pre-choice, pre-choice biases. So, uh, what this what this essentially means is that every time we, uh, right before we make a decision, certain uh, certain biases uh, uh, kick in, and becoming aware and conscious of these biases will, in essence, change the quality of your decisions. Therefore, change the quality of your life. So, with that. Um, I want to kickstart uh, this conversation. Uh, what do you guys uh, want to say or have to say here, guys? Um, I I suppose uh, it's best to just define the, the I mean talk about the specific biases uh, in this category because otherwise it'll just be empty talk, right? And then uh, we can discuss. Uh, Go for it. Know. So uh, the three biases that we chose for this category. Uh, are uh, priming bias, so priming, confirmation bias, and illusion of control. So, uh, uh, okay, shall we define those? Let's go for it. All right. Go for it. So, uh, very briefly, uh, priming bias is essentially the bias where the first bit of information shapes the way you uh, look at all the information that comes next. Uh, confirmation bias is what you sort for, uh, uh, basically what you believe is true, that's what you accept, and anything that contradicts it, you reject. And therefore, kind of by definition, you are confirming what you believe in, even if it's not really true. Uh, and final illusion of control is uh, when you basically believe that you have more control over events than you you actually are. So, yeah, I, I think I think um, if you, if you think about it, um, these are three major categories, and there are many sub biases within each one of them. But we want to keep this at um, at the level of a category, and these are the three categories. Um, Karan, do you have anything to add here, Rosha, or do you want to start by jumping in? Sure, I can jump into the uh, first one. Uh, the priming bias, um, and um, as Sergey said, right, the, the kind of the short definition is that it's uh, biased towards the first piece of information you hear. And uh, I want to give a couple of examples from uh, from marketing and sales. Um, I think these are areas where priming bias is consciously used. 
uh, very frequently. So um, imagine that you are a salesman, right? And you and you want to sell your product, um, and I don't know, it's something toothbrush or something, whatever. People have no emotions about toothbrush. They have they just, toothbrush is toothbrush, you know. So <laughs> how can you get people to feel good about the toothbrush? Well. Uh, how about showing something that do pe- people do feel good about right before you show a toothbrush, like flashing an image of a pretty face, or I don't know, some you know, babies laughing or animals. But basically, something that that immediately uh, put puts you into a good, uh, uh, good positive mood, and then following that up by a toothbrush, right? So you tend to connect the two, um, uh, the, two the, the first feeling and the, and the information in the toothbrush. Uh, the opposite is also true, of course. Like, say, uh, say we have, I don't know, some unnamed uh, news broadcasting uh, channel who wants to <coughs> fox fox <coughs> sorry go on <laughs> unnamed, right <laughs> well i think they all do it right like say they want to malign uh a person for whatever reason i don't know what politics business doesn't matter what right well it's actually not very difficult right say before right before talking about that person showing uh, him her to you they say show you something horrific i don't know images of war dying children I don't know, pla- plastic in the ocean, something like that, right? So you have to connect this thing, right? I, I, I mean, this, you know, we come in at, at this study of biases from more kind of psychology field, but uh, going back to NLP, right? NLP, this is uh, used as uh, uh, part of some techniques frequently as well, right? It's it's first... First, it's connecting good emotions to something to something that's uh, uh, say neutral or used to be bad. For example, uh, something like uh, phobia, phobia technique. You know, to remove phobias can 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 partly use that as well, right? Um, so yeah, uh, I think priming is ha- it's basically happening all the time. Anytime you hear marketing, sales, news, whatever, you turn on the TV, you get you're being primed continuously by everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the way I think about priming, right? I mean, it's the, that first piece of information that shapes uh, that shapes uh, all the other following information, right? So you can think about it in two ways. Um, one way is first impressions, and hence the thinking and meaning behind first impressions matter. And the second thing is, is uh, if you think about why framing is so important. Now, again, to Karan's point, okay, if we approach it from NLP, you know, we'd say control the frame, control the frame. Because what does the frame do? It, fra- it, fra- it, it essentially frames or primes the rest of the conversation that follows. Now, this is happening to us at all points. Uh, And, you know, uh, when taken to an extreme, it's the best form of branding. What do I mean by it? Now, um, I was talking about politics. So so let's let's uh, let's examine um, let's examine the political scenario to uh, uh, to go a little deeper into this. Right. So a, 
at least in two of my homes, uh, one here in the United States and uh, one in India, right? There are uh, two names or two families that have been primed into the very consciousness. One, uh, one is the Clintons here in the United States and the other is uh, the Gandhis in India. Now, when most people think about Clinton, they think about the 90s, the years of prosperity and whatnot, right? And uh, by de facto that essentially plays into a, a Clinton legacy and thinking of, oh, the good years will be back uh, should this new Clinton be elected. And the same, the same shit happens in India. Uh, to think about it where the Gandhi name has been hijacked, where um, when you hear Gandhi, you think uh, uh, you're predominantly thinking about Mahatma Gandhi and the, the, fa- the family of rulers who've been ruling India for three generations. And uh, they are not even related to Mahatma Gandhi to begin with. That family just took on the Gandhi name uh, uh, post-independence. Uh, post but when they think about Mahatma Gandhi or when they think about Gandhi, they think about nation building, strong leaders, whatnot, even though the current uh, generation of leaders are nincompoops, right? And I'm being very generous. <laughs> okay. So, so, so that, that is essentially uh, a priming where a particular name or a brand takes such a hold that all the other information that follows it is just filtered out, right? And take the opposite extreme. If I say Hitler, in a conversation, what happens? There is no way, nothing that you would do to to stand for a policy that he may have taken. Now, I'm not a supporter of this, nor am I saying what he did was right or wrong, but these are examples for you to think about. When you look at two extremes, you will see how, how the power of the first piece of information uh, shapes the rest of the conversation or even more importantly, your decision-making and dialogue-making capabilities, which are the bedrock of any political conversation. So that's me, guys. Mm-hmm. All right. And I guess I'll take the same priming idea uh, into workplace. So uh, let's talk about hiring process, right? Say so interviewing a candidate. Uh, so you're in a company uh, you ask to uh, interview a new candidate that comes in and uh, uh, let's like for the uh, for the sake of argument let's assume this candidate is actually a brilliant guy say a brilliant engineer who you want to hire for your programming team or something team of engineers uh, but the first thing like you uh, uh, he comes in and you ask the first question for whatever reason he gets confused it, it's you know just maybe he had a little bit, a little too much coffee or something or uh, whatever just gets confused and doesn't really answer correctly at first he he then corrects himself but the those those few seconds when he was confused uh, in your mind could map to like oh this guy is probably not so good and everything else uh, I mean he may totally blow your mind later. Uh, uh, but it that that first impression would still kind of stick there for for a while. It would stay and kind of linger. Uh, so uh, uh, that might be one of the things to kind of pay attention to. Uh, the opposite is also true. So sometimes, uh, let's say you uh, 
you met this person first at lunch and you had a, a wonderful conversation. You're like best buddies uh, for the for the last hour. And then uh, uh, so you totally could see how this uh, person can be a, uh, a team teammate and, you know, sitting next cube to you or something. Uh, and uh, then you realize that he doesn't know how to even write a single line of code. But you still want to try and, like, give him maybe hints or something to make sure that he at least does something good, like, to kind of justify that he's actually a good candidate. So, uh, uh, I don't know if you relate to any of that, but uh, that's uh, what I've actually seen happening, personally. So, that's my example of priming. So, if we are to summarize... Priming, I think uh, I think I would like to say two things. One, if your first impressions matter and whoever controls the frame. In other words, the first pieces of information coming out controls the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, shall we move on to confirmation bias? Sounds good. All right. Oh, I'm running up. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, let's say since we started with our money, you know, do you, you want to give your examples? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can keep we can keep the picking order here. Um, <laughs> uh, so confirmation bias is um, our tendency to. Uh, to sort for the information we agree and to omit the information we disagree. So this is basically filtering, right? Um, and to me, out of all the biases that, that, that we have discussed and will discuss, this is, this is the elephant in the room. This is the biggest one. This, like, this happened all the time for everybody, and it's like an iceberg. You know? Even if you think you notice what you're doing, 90% of it is in your unconscious mind. Um, so uh, to give a couple of examples from my uh, chosen domain of business entrepreneurship is um, uh, is something called love marks. So I'm sure you know brands. Right? Well, brands that uh, evoke very strong emotional responses, love, uh, are called love marks. Um, like if you if you want, you can even like uh, Google that term. Love marks is a book written on it. It's quite nice. Um, examples of love of love marks would be something like an Apple, you know, with Apple laptops and iPhones, or another one is Harley Davidson. Um, it's just you know this product uh, that that people love for whatever reason, and they they and this love is it's not. Objective, it becomes not objective at some point, like any kind of love, right? So, for example, I'm sure you've heard the 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 you know the debates: what's better, Windows or or, or Apple, right? Which operating system is better? Which computer is better? You know, and you can have these two people fighting it, you know, out almost like you know, almost culminating in a fist fight. 
Uh, I've seen it happen. And, and whereas, you know, it's <laughs> I mean, better for what, you know, you know, better when you know, kind of things. This is just a minute. They, they just love it. Right. And and the interesting thing is if you listen to the to their conversations, you know, um, they are willing to accept only the things that support their perspective. And they completely ignore everything that 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 uh, uh, is uh, is uh, against it. So 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 in a sense, the 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 emotional overtones of 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 their beliefs uh, uh, are uh, kind of acting as a filter for for the information. You know, you cannot get through, right? You cannot change their mind, at least not very easily. Uh, same thing with Harley Davidson. You know, people who love Harley Davidson and the motorcycle. You know, you can produce a better motorcycle. It, it just doesn't matter. You know, it's all Harley Davidson, period, or Ducati or something. Yeah, and uh, when you talk about love marks, uh, I think that is uh, every PR guy's wet dream, where <laughs> they can frame the conversation and confirm uh, and link the confirmation bias towards their product. And away from their competitors' products, you know. And the best examples of it, Arman, if I may add to what you were saying, is uh, things like Apple and Harley Davidson. They've done a great, great job at linking all the good stuff. Where even if the systems are flawed in many ways, you have supporters ready to go up in arms about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I have another one right now. It appeared recently. Tesla, right? Oh yeah, clearly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So talking about confirmation bias, right? Um, So the way I think about it, uh, of course, I agree with what I said, but I also add this one distinction where I say that it's about um, just focusing on what you like and ignoring everything else, where where we tend to ignore, uh, where we tend to just harp on what we like or what we agree with, or harp on what we dislike and what we disagree with. Now, in politics, uh, you'll find this uh, all over the place, right? Where, for example, with some people, um, a current presidential candidate, doesn't matter who it is, can do no harm, right? Where And then I hear stupid arguments like it's time for a woman to be a president. So it doesn't matter if the woman is qualified or not or, or could have done criminal activities or not. Let's just vote her in. I mean, that is uh, that is crazy talk uh, uh, the way I see it, right? So, so if, you, if you look at any charged, uh, any charged uh, political conversation, uh, what you see is, uh, uh, what's the word I was looking for? Uh, what, what you don't see is dialogue. You really don't see dialogue because a dialogue, uh, a dialogue says that, hey, um, let, let's have a true conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you see, what or what you see and what you hear is a lot of rhetoric, where the rhetoric is all the good stuff that I am doing and all the bad stuff that my uh, opponent is doing. So what you what you are seeing is just sound bites uh, that drive this con- uh, that drive uh, these particular biases. So so pay attention to your likes and dislikes uh, biases. Your and how you confirm the kind of information that you take in. Now, especially in politics uh, these days, uh, unfortunately, we're seeing the the bad part of it where it's actually shutting down dialogue. And what we're doing is uh, 
We just have rhetoric around sound bites. That's that's the way I see this particular uh, bias uh, playing into our lives, and it is pre-conscious. We just tend to like and agree with stuff that we like and agree with, and are not willing to uh, put our thoughts, our ideas, and our leaders under the microscope because, hey, for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. So that's 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 me on confirmation, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 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 fact, in the politics, I, I uh, uh, it's, 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 if I understand correctly, they they often use that confirmation bias to uh, like they would tell different uh, 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 what do you call them the the different slices of population different things, right? They, they make different promises yes. to them uh, so that those slices of population you know like them better because that's what gets in. Right. Yeah, it's, it's called pandering. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, go, uh, continuing with my example of uh, 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 going through an interview, right? So you're interviewing a candidate at work, uh, and uh, uh, it. So these biases often work kind of in tandem. So I, I mentioned priming, right? When, say, you had a, a, a nice lunch conversation with a person and, and now everything is rosy and this person is great, even though, you know, you don't really, you really know uh, if, uh, uh, as an engineer, he's worth his salt. Uh, now you're starting to actually ask technical questions. And let's say... The guy is just totally flunking it, so he can't really uh, do much. But he gives you a little bits and pieces here and there, like uh, he can uh, suggest, uh, uh, you know, this uh, to write this piece of code to create, you know, this part of machinery or something, you know, that, that put these two uh, cogs together and then and they spin correctly or something. But overall, you know, maybe it's not that good. But you're still looking at the good pieces. And you're picking those out and say, oh, yeah, look, he's, he's done that. Uh, and he's done that thing, too. And, uh, you know, he's not, a, he's not a total idiot. I mean, he's doing something, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, that's, uh, that's how it can play out in the interviews. Uh, it, again, the same thing can happen the opposite way, right? So uh, the guy might stumble at first, but then uh, corrects himself and uh, uh, really solves a very... Uh, complicating, challenging problem uh, right at the interview, and then next thing you ask another question, and uh, again something gets to him, something you know, or maybe maybe he just misunderstands your question uh, and doesn't really answer the way you expect it to, and then you start picking on him basically. Oh look, he failed that one. Uh, so um, uh, that can that can also get in, in the way. So. Uh, uh, in uh, in many companies, I mean, I've I've, uh, I've kind of seen uh, several types of companies in the sense of how they pick the candidates uh, at this point. And in most companies that have been, uh, the way uh, they basically decide uh, whether to hire somebody or not is they don't really look at evidence per se. They just <laughs> ask people like, "How do you feel about the candidate? Like, what do you think?" You know, and. Uh, uh, at that point, you know, when you're asking questions like that, you're basically asking, uh, like, if, if I interviewed the candidate, you're basically asking me to pre-filter all of the facts, uh, make up an opinion, and then deliver the opinion, right? 
and uh, uh, if if I have a confirmation bias like that, guess what I'm going to say? Oh, I really like to have, you know, I, I really like the conversation with this guy at lunch, right? So I think he's great. I mean, that's it, right? Uh, what does it say about his ability to perform? I have no idea. But, <laughs> right? So, uh, but it counts as a vote. So there you go. Uh, and uh, uh, there was an, uh, there's another company that I uh, that I work for uh, that uh, does it very differently. That uh, when I interview people, I would write things down, like actual code. This is software, right? I work in software. So uh, the actual code that they write. And then other set of people who don't even know who that person is. They don't know the name. They don't know the the gender of the person. They know nothing. They just see that code, and some of my comments that that, com- that are commenting on like the progression of the interview, the, the facts, right? Not even they don't take my opinion; they ignore that. Uh, they just take the progression of the facts, and they make a decision after that. So they try real hard to remove those biases. That's interesting. It's kind of like double blind interviewing. Kind of, yeah. Does it work? Uh, it does totally. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Anyway, so that's uh, it's as as uh, as Arman said, right? This is an elephant in the room. It's very difficult to get rid of the confirmation bias. So uh, you know, they at this company they really go out of their way to try well, I, to control it. I, I, actually, right uh, to to give just like, I have a spontaneous example um, in, in science, right? Everybody heard about double blind experiments mm-hmm. well that's exactly what they do right the, the purpose of a double blind experiment is to remove the confirmation bias yeah yes totally in fact it works even at the level of uh of the level of body right so you 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 mm-hmm. take a pill right you tell that this is a sugar pill or this is a real drug exactly and there's a difference even mm-hmm. if the pill yes. is the same <laughs> and, and 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 that you find the same thing in business all the time where most of the good market research is double blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, guys. So we covered that. So this brings us to uh, the last one um, for this particular uh, episode, which is. Uh, the illusion of control. So what, mm-hmm. what the illusion of control bias is, it's a tendency of uh, people to overestimate their ability to control events. Uh, think about it this way, where uh, if you've seen a match uh, where the sport fan thinks that his or her thoughts and actions and whether they wear the specific colors and cheer the loudest May, has an effect on the overall <laughs> on the overall um, uh, outcome of the game. So, so th- th- that in short is what uh, this bias does, right? And uh, well, another way to think about it is all the superstition uh, that goes along with uh, uh, along with us as we make our decisions. Like that uh, lucky pair of underwears that you had to wear to the interviews, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so, so that is uh, that is uh, in short the uh, illusion of control. So, uh, Karan, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I have an example uh, uh, from entrepreneurship. Um, so, if you look at the numbers. 
uh, which are compiled all the time, uh, you will see that um, if you were to start a business, the chances of you being successful, moderately successful, we're not talking about you know Google level, just moderately successful, are something like two to five percent. You know, so what? One in twenty, 20. To, to one in fifty, right? Uh, tiny, right? Um, you know, if I were to tell you, would you risk? I don't know your house for 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 one in fifty percent chance of of winning a castle or losing the house. I think most people will skip that, but. <laughs> Except entrepreneurs. <laughs> I mean, thank God for that, right? <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't have any kind of technology or progress. Uh, but entrepreneurs uh, are completely unreasonable people uh, who believe, who have illusion of control. They believe that, that, I mean, each one, that, by the way, includes me, you know, each one believes that. Uh, I am that rare exception <laughs> that can influence the events in just the right way so that mine will be the 2%. You know? Of course, it's a fallacy, right? Uh, uh, it's a fallacy simply because uh, for any business or product to be successful, it, it, it's just more is involved than the, than the, the sum of all the decisions of the, of, of the, of the entrepreneur. There's market factors, there's economy, politics, all this stuff that you have no control of as a, as a businessman influences the, the results. Uh, however, of course, for you, for you to even start something, you need to believe in your success. And uh, therefore, you, you, you kind of have this illusion of control that, that, that you, you, know, you can actually do it. Now, if, if, I could, if I could just go a little off topic here, but it's relevant to it, a little tangent. Um, there's a movie called Instinct. Um, you guys seen it? With Anthony Hopkins and uh, Cuba Gordon Jr.? <laughs> no, not Basic Instinct, just Instinct. <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> okay, where's your mind tonight? <laughs> so, it's, it's, a, it's a movie called Instinct with a little known movie with Anthony Hopkins and uh, Cuba Gordon Jr., so Cuba Gooding Jr. is this uh, young, upcoming uh, psychiatrist, and uh, Anthony Hopkins has uh, run away from civilization and lived with gorillas for God knows how many years. And then they find him, and they put him back in jail and bring him back to the United States. But a profound transformation has happened in him where he's made peace with his animal nature, and he's living with the gorillas, right? And... Um, well, what's his face? Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. decides that he's going to be the man who cracks uh, Anthony Hopkins open and then write the next big bestseller. So he convinces everyone that he should be allowed to treat him. He starts treating him. And uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins is just amused by the game. So he like, just plays along in the beginning. And uh, this guy uh, forgets. You know, He starts thinking he's in control and he's the boss. Cuba Gooding Jr. starts thinking he's the boss. So one day he um, he just sits there telling Anthony Hopkins what he wants to hear, what not. And then uh, now remember, Anthony Hopkins has spent many years now with the gorillas, right? So he just jumps across the table, you know, gets him into a choke and he's willing to, he's willing to snap his neck unless he gives him the right answer. 
And he says, uh, what have I taken from you? What have I taken from you? He says, freedom. He says, no, give me the right answer or I'll break your neck. Right? So it's a very tense minute, minute and a half. And then he quickly says, he says, you've taken away my illusion of control. <laughs> then, <laughs> then Anthony Hopkins smacks him. He says, there's hope for you after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a very, uh, a very, uh, profound moment for me <laughs> talking about yeah. this Ahmad. it just uh, kind of reminded me <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so talking about illusion of control right uh, I, I think uh, in politics you see this like one of the stupidest things that I have seen so far this like, is where um, guys are saying oh only God can save us now Right on one side we have a woman hating man, and on the other side we have a man hating woman running for the office. <laughs> right, and uh, 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 they were actually organizing prayer groups to say, "Okay, we all have to get together and pray in order for God to intervene and save this nation." Now that, if there is an illusion of control, there's one. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's like this is the probably the most I don't know I I find this the most um, amusing bias uh, like for me because it, it includes all of these superstitions and religious practices and like prayers and, and what have you uh, trying to do. Uh, hey, you uh, know what superstitions is, right? You know the definition of superstitions, right? What is it? Other people's beliefs and religions. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, yeah. So, uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. In, in fact, I I even heard a story that uh, somebody was uh, getting together a bunch of uh, monks, I guess, uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, to uh, meditate on some kind of a political thing or some something or other. And apparently, it did make some difference. Like somebody, yeah, you're talking. You're talking about the Maharishi effect, where there are these uh, thousands of monks uh, who congregated in D.C. and meditated over a period of week, and they found that uh, the crime rates in the area uh, declined. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it was probably a fluke in the crime rates because it's probably noisy like hell but anyway uh yeah that's that's kind of amusing thing to me anyway uh so uh let's see if i i guess if i if i go back to uh the the example of work uh and uh say interviewing actually for for this for this one i i'd like to jump the sides and i want to go on the side of the interviewee uh, that uh, if you're going to uh, uh, for an interview and trying to find uh, trying like trying to prepare for the interview, right? Obviously, you want to do the uh, the thing that you can control, which is like learning the the material and all that preparing. But also, there are all these uh, uh, you know, knock the wood and you know, spit away your left shoulder or do whatever the hell you know uh, students do, right? Or even the older people who uh, who need to pass the exam, right? There are like all sorts of uh, 
like in Russian, there are, there are uh, specific sets of phrases that you want to say, you know, before you go, stuff like that. It's it's crazy. So, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, obviously it doesn't make any freaking difference. But, uh, you know, people still do that because who knows? Yeah, it's not going to hurt you. You just do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it, it's that. I guess on the other side, on the uh, on the side of the hiring manager or hiring committee, uh, there is also a tendency to think that well, if only we uh, go through maybe more interviews or more thorough tests uh, or uh, you know, like put the uh, uh, candidates through through more hoops to jump, uh, then we can get better people and. Uh, uh, they actually did a study uh, in, uh, in some of the more progressive companies, I guess. They actually did studies uh, on how many interview, how many interviews actually give you a good signal. And they realized that after about five or six, uh, there is no difference whatsoever. It becomes noise. Hmm. So uh, it, basically you can't do any better than that at that point. Uh, so that's your illusion of control. So, you know, what you get in those, uh, you know, three, four hours of, uh, few interviews, that's what you're going to get. This is it. And it's still crapshoot for the yeah. most part. <laughs> I, have a, I have a personal story here, uh, where it's a very, very well known, uh, company here in the Silicon Valley. And uh, they put me through the hoops, um, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, logic tests and jury uh, kind tests, a bunch of interviews. And in the end, um, right before, <laughs> right before the uh, final rounds, uh, they tell me, "Oh, wait a minute, you don't have an undergraduate degree in X, so therefore you are not qualified." to move forward <laughs> so I, I found that rather fascinating where uh, where they think that uh, no that's again in my mind the illusion of control where a certain set of prerequisites have to be met and even in the presence of evidence that that was not required and it, you had this candidate go through these pieces hey the illusion of control still wins over <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, it's a sad story, actually. We have it's a very sad story. Yeah, yeah but it's it's very relevant, though, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wasting everybody's time, for one thing, right? And then, and, uh, yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then uh, just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, speaking of degrees, by the way, like in, in, uh, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of people by now, uh, and uh, I I have enough statistics to say that like I stopped looking at resumes because I find that it's completely irrelevant what people write. It's completely irrelevant what degree they have. Uh, at least in like uh, uh, software engineering, it's like there's no correlation whatsoever. In fact, what I what I what I find is maybe there's like a negative correlation, but this might come as a noise probably. Uh, maybe that's my confirmation bias. No, I I actually uh, agree with you on that, uh, Sergey. Like when I'm hiring, when I'm hiring product managers and product marketers, mm-hmm. when I have uh, when I have people leading with that degree, mm-hmm. I have found them to be way more emptier. 
<laughs> than yeah. people with real skills. And mm-hmm. and here's the thing, right? I mean, if you think about the resume, all the resume does is try to prime you, right? Mm-hmm. So in many ways, if you if you think about it, if you want to overcome the priming bias, you should ignore the resume. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, at this point, I, I, right. uh-huh. <laughs> I could argue with this, with this whole, with this whole logic, guys. I don't know if I should write, write on the podcast. Well, well then, go for it. What the hell? Yeah, why not? Well, I mean, I, I think resumes are useful because if you see, if you see that a candidate has studied to work at uh, at some other uh, entity with the um, uh, uh, with a very selective process of getting in and being there, that's a very strong signal that this candidate, you know, somebody, somebody else already vetted them, right? That's a good signal. You know, that's why, that's why I, you, I, an I ideal league on your resume counts for a lot or a good company counts for a lot. It's, it's meaningful signal. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we were trying to say that a resume is irrelevant. At least uh, that was not the intent. But the point was that a resume acts as a prime, as a primer, right? And yes, you're correct. Certain companies, certain schools can be a good, uh, uh, a good benchmark. But come on, man, we've all been to good schools, right? Haven't we met idiots from our schools? <laughs> yes, there's probably more of them elsewhere. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've all worked for good companies, haven't we? Met absolute idiots, and we wonder how the hell are they working here, but, right? And 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 then you know, just to just to push that further, I mean, how often do you find people being hundred percent honest on their resumes? Oh come on! Resume is a is a marketing campaign, you know. Well, that's my that's the yeah, point. Honestly, marketing campaign. It's a marketing campaign. That was my point, right? That it's a priming tool. So if you want to do good hiring, you have to look past the priming. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the only piece of information available when the candidate applies right so you gotta sort it out somehow <laughs> no i think i think i think it's a good yeah. sorting mechanism uh-huh. for the first step as to who you want to talk to or not but yeah mm-hmm. that's all it should end you know i think that's what you were saying sergey right yeah yeah i mean after the first few like very obvious signs i mean at, at that point it stops mattering basically like I, yeah I, uh-huh. I, I agree with you like you know for like uh about five or six years, I didn't even change my interview question. I would just have one question. Mm-hmm. There was hiring a product manager or a product marketing manager. One single question. That's all. I know what the and, question was. Are you an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> With a follow-up. Prove it. Right? <laughs> the answer was anything but yes, you would not hire them. <laughs> No, no, no. But seriously, I mean, like, uh-huh. I would just ask one single question. In fact, I did that for more than seven, eight years, and uh, I, I refused to look at resumes. And what I found is that when I looked at the resumes, the guys from the school sometimes could not answer that question, and yet uh, the guys who answered the questions the best probably went to mediocre schools, worked at mediocre jobs. But then uh, the quality of that work uh, when they worked with me was exceptional. So I can help it. Was the question, will you go out with me? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. 
no, I'll tell you the question too, right? Um, what I tell them is, hey, um, 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 the current uh, the current state of affairs is where on one acre of land you can grow a hundred kilos of corn with a current fertilizer, and that fertilizer costs you one dollar. You've come up with a new technology, a new kind of a fertilizer that quadruples your output. Okay? Mm-hmm. What should the price of this new fertilizer be? Oh. That's the easy question I would ask. Uh-huh. Uh, well, that depends on the cost of the product you make, right? Oh, it depends on a stuff. lot of things, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things. There's a lot, a lot of things, true, yeah. Yeah, but you'll be surprised how many people would say, well, if it brings you four times the things, we should have it four times, but because it's a new product, just reduce the price a little bit. <laughs> I know how they make that decisions, right? But honestly, this would be the only question I would ask. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice question. Yeah, yeah nice question. Yeah. Right? It, it, because what it would do is it would reveal to me how they think about things and how they frame it up and how they answer the whole question. So, Yeah. Funny enough, I, I also basically settled on basically one question. Uh, I have one question for phone interviews and one question for uh, on-site, like face-to-face, uh, simply because the face-to-face I can draw something, so it's a little more interesting question. Uh, and, and that's it. And it's like, both questions are basically a right recursive program, essentially. Very simple one. And you, uh, you wouldn't believe how many people fail, like, miserably. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that is, uh, that is a conversation about preconscious biases. And as uh, you listeners can tell, it's a, it's a big elephant in the room. And there are, <laughs> there are all, all bunch of ways uh, that you can go about it. So, guys, do you have any closing thoughts uh, on this topic? Um, well, I guess, uh, uh, as usual, I would say, you know, pay attention to uh, what grabs your attention, you know, and see what, uh, how, like, how you make decisions. Uh, so uh, see if you can catch that little moment right before you start thinking. Uh and uh, maybe rewind the tape and like think about it again. Like, how did I make that decision after all? See if you can start noticing it. And I am curious if you were to rewind rewind this podcast, this conversation that we've had, and listen to it again, you'll be able to notice where each one of us has been using uh, each of these three biases. On you. <laughs> go ahead and see if you can catch us <laughs> and uh, and what I would like to say is uh, uh, look at the opposite of everything that you believe in and uh, when you're being primed uh, I'd frame that conversation when you have a confirmation bias and if you have a tendency to like something uh, in a particular person or event, see for what you dislike and balance it out. And uh, definitely pay attention to that story about illusions of control because ultimately we have none. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> right? 
So with that, good night and good luck. Have a wonderful day. And may it be happy. The copyright of this recording is owned by the Radical Change Group and the individual contributors. Permission to copy and distribute freely is granted, provided that the entire recording on this notice remain intact. Please visit us at www.radicalchangegroup.com. Your comments and feedback will be greatly appreciated.